Section 17 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Fall Yamba Place. 15th November. Dearest Mamma, We arrived here this afternoon in time for tea. It is a splendid place, and everything has been done up for them by that man who chooses things for people when they don't know how themselves. He is here now, and he is quite a gentleman, and has his food with us. I can't remember his name, but I dare say you know about him. Everything is Louis XV and Louis XVI, but it doesn't go so well in the saloon as it might, because this panelling is all oak, with the foliam coats of arms still all round the frieze, and over the mantelpiece, which is Elizabethan. And I heard this. Mr. Jones, I shall have to call him, say that it jarred upon his nervous system like an intense pain, but that Mrs. Murray Hartley would keep them up, because there was a Murray coat of arms in one of the shields of the people they married, and she says it is an ancestor of hers, and that is why they bought the place. But as Octavia told me that the real name was Hart, and that they hyphen the Murray, which is his Christian name, if Jews can have Christian names, and put on the Levi royal license, I can't see how it would have been an ancestor, can you? They are quite established in society, Octavia says. They have been there for two seasons now, and everyone knows them. They got Lady Greswold to give their first concert, and enclosed programmes with the invitations. So hardly any of the duchesses felt they could refuse, Octavia said, when they were certain of hearing the best singers for nothing. And it was a splendid plan, as many concerts have been spoiled by a rumour getting about that Melba was not really going to sing. Everybody smart is here. I am one of the few untitled people. Mrs. Murray Hartley doesn't look a bit Jewish or fat and uneasy like Mrs. Pike, but then this is only Mrs. Pike's first year. She, Mrs. M. H., is beautifully dressed and awfully genial. She said it was just more than delightful of Octavia to ring me, and that it was so sweet of her to come to this friendly little party. It is so much nicer to have just one's own friends, she said, instead of those huge collections of people one hardly knows. There are quite twenty of us here, Mamma, so I don't call it such a very weeny party, do you? My bedroom is magnificent, but it hasn't all the new books as they have at Chevigny, and although the writing table things are tortoise shell and gold, there aren't any pens in the holders. That is why I am writing this in pencil. The towels have such beautifully embroidered double crests on them, and on the Hartley bit, the motto, La Femme vaut l'échelle. Octavia, who is in the room now looking at everything, said Lady Greswold chose it for them when they wanted a crest to have on their severus plates and things for their concert. Octavia keeps laughing to herself all the time as she looks at the things and puts me out writing, so I will finish this when I come to bed. 12.30. We had a regular banquet. I sat next to Lord Doraine. I did not catch the name of the man who took me in. I forgot to tell you that Doraine's and Sir Trevor and Lady Cecilia and lots of others I know are here. Mrs. Mary Hartley does hostess herself, which Octavia says is very plucky of her, as both Lady Greswold, who gave her concert, and Lady Bobby Pomeroy, who brought all the young men, are staying in the house. And Octavia says it shows she is really clever to have emancipated herself so soon. We had gold plate with the game, and china up to that, and afterwards Lady Greswold talked to Octavia, and asked her if she thought it would look better perhaps to begin gold with the soup, and have the old on specimen sevres just to make a point. I hate gold plate myself. One knife does make such a slate pencilish noises on it. The man who took me in kept putting my teeth so on edge that I was obliged to speak to him about it at last. We had sturgeon from the Volga, or whatever the Roman emperors got theirs, but the plates were cold. Violence played softly all the time, 
behind a kind of Niagara Falls at the end of the room, which is magnificent. It is hung with aubusson, almost as good as what they had at Croix-Mère, which has been there always. After dinner, while we were in the drawing-room alone, a note came from Mrs. Murray Hartley. She was talking to Octavia and me, so she read it aloud. It was from Lord Valmont, and sent from the inn in the little town. He said he had intended staying there by himself for the hunt ball, but that on arrival he found no fire in his room, so he was writing to ask if Mrs. Mary Hartley would put him up. She was enchanted, and at once asked Lady Greswell if it would not be better to turn Lord Oldfield out of his room, which is the best in the bachelor's suit, as he is only a baron. But Lady Greswell said she did not think it would matter. I do call it hot, don't you, Mamma? Because Lord Valmont told me, when he left Chevenix on Saturday, that he had to go to another party in Yorkshire, and was as cross as a bear because he would not be able to be at the grassfield ball. He turned up beautifully dressed as usual, as quickly as it was possible for the brougham which was sent for him to get back. He could not have kept it waiting a moment, so I don't believe the story about there being no fire in his room, do you? Mrs. Mary Hartley did gush at him. Octavia says it is the first time she has been able to get him to her house, and he is ridiculously old-fashioned and particular and actually in London won't go to places unless he knows the host and hostess personally. He stood with a vacant frown on his face all the time Mrs. Murray Hartley was speaking, and a child could have seen he wanted to get away. It is in these kinds of ways Frenchmen are more polite, because the Marquis always wore an interested grin when Godmamma kept him by her. He got away at last, and came across the room, but by that time Sir Trevor and Mr. Hodgkinson were talking to me, and there was no room for him on our sofa and he had to speak to Lady Cecilia, who was near. She was absent as usual, and he was talking at random, so the conversation was rather funny. I heard scraps of it. Mr. Mary Hartley must be very nice, although he looks so unimportant, for all the men call him Jim, and are awfully friendly. Lord Oldfield and Lord Doraine seem ready to do anything for him. Lord Oldfield offered to hunt about and get him just the right stables for his house in Belgrave Square, he knew of some splendid ones, he said, that were going a great bargain, on a freehold that belongs to his sister's husband. And Lord Doraine says he will choose his horses for him at Tattersall's next week, as he wants some good hunters. He knows of the very ones for him. You leave it all to me, dear boy, he said. And at that, Sir Trevor, who was listening, they were all standing close to our sofa, went into a guffaw of laughter. Hunters, he whispered quite loud. Beastly little Jew, he'd have to have a rocking horse and hold on by its mane. And when I said I did not think one ought to speak so of people when one was eating their salt, he seemed to think that quite a new view of the case, and said, By Jove, you are right, Elizabeth. Our honour and our sense of hospitality are both blunted nowadays. Presently, Lady Cecilia called Mr. Hodgkinson to her, and in one moment Lord Valmont had slipped into his place. I asked him why he was not in Yorkshire, and he said that he thought, after all, it was too far to go, and it was his duty to be at the Grassfield Bowl, as he has hunted with this pack sometimes. He looked and looked at me, and I don't know why, Mamma, but I felt so queer. I almost wish he had not come. I suppose Mrs. Smith is somewhere in this neighbourhood, and that is why he did not go to Yorkshire. Sir Trevor monopolised most of our conversation until we all got up to play baccarat. I did not want to play as I don't know it, and Lord Valmont said it would be much nicer to sit and talk. But Mrs. Murray Hartley would not hear of our not joining in, and Octavia handed me a five-pound note and said I was not to lose more than that, so I thought I had better not go on refusing, and we went with the rest into the salon, where there was a long table laid out with cards and counters. Lord Valmont said he would teach me the game, and that we would bank together. 
However, Lady Doraine sat down in the chair he was holding for me, and she put her hand on his coat sleeve and said in such a lovely voice, Harry, it is ages since I have had a chat with you. Sit down here by me. But he answered no. He had promised to show me how to play, and his mouth was set quite square. She looked so alluring, I don't know how he could have done it. It was almost as flattering to me as the Vicomte's riding all night from Versailles. She laughed, but it was not a very nice laugh, and she said, Poor boy, is it as bad as that? And he looked back at her in an insolent way, as if they were crossing swords, but he said nothing more, only moved to the other side of the table, to where there were two empty chairs together. When we sat down, he said women were devils, which I thought very rude of him. I told him so, and he said I wasn't a woman. But I remember now, Mamma. he called me a little devil that time when he was so rude at Naseby. So it shows how inconsistent men are, doesn't it? I sometimes think he would like to say all the nice things they become used to. Only with Englishmen, I suppose, you have to be alone in the room for them to do that. They have not the least idea, like the French, of managing while they are speaking out loud about something else. Everyone looks very anxious here when they play. It is not at all a joke as the roulette used to be at Naseby. And they do put a lot on, although counters don't seem to be much to look at. It is not at all a difficult game, Mama and some of the people were so lucky turning up naturels, but we lost in spite of them at our side of the table. And Lord Rain said at last that it was because we, Lord Valmont and I, were sitting together. Valmont looked angry, but he shaft back. I don't know what it was all about, and I was getting so sleepy that when a fresh deal was going to begin, I asked Octavia, who was near, if I might not go to bed. She nodded, so I slipped away. Lord Valmont followed, to light my candle, he said, but I, there was nothing but electric light that was nonsense. He was just beginning to say something nice when we got beyond the carved oak screen that separates the staircase from the salon, and there there were rows of footmen and people peeping in, so he just said good night. And I also will say good night to you, Mamma, or I shall look ugly tomorrow for the ball. Love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Fall Jamba Place, 16th November. Dearest Mamma, I have just come up to dress for tea, but I find it is earlier than I thought, so I shall have time to tell you about today. It has absolutely poured with rain and sleet and snow and blown a gale from the moment we woke this morning until now. Quite the most horrid weather I ever remember. All the men were in such tempers as it was impossible to shoot. Mr. Murray Hartley had prepared thousands of tame pheasants for them, Tom said, although this wasn't to be a big shoot, only to amuse them, by the way. And they were all looking forward to regular slaughter. Octavia and I and Lady Bobby were among the few women down to breakfast besides our hostess who is so bright and cheery in the morning, and when you think how morose English people are until lunchtime, it is a great quality. Some of the men came down ready to start, and these were the ones in the worst humour. After breakfast, half of them disappeared to the stables, and the rest played bridge, except Lord Valmont and Mr. Hodgkinson, who wanted to stay with us. Only we would not have them, so we were left to ourselves more or less. Mrs. Murray Hartley took us to see the pictures and the collections of china and miniatures and she talks about them all just like a book, and calls them simple little things, and you would never have guessed they cost thousands, and that she had not been used to them always, until she showed us a beautiful enamel of Madame de Pompadour, and called it La Princesse de Lambelle, and said so sympathetically that it was quite too melancholy to think she had been hacked to pieces in the revolution, only perhaps it served her right for saying Après moi le déluge. Octavia was in fits, and I wonder no one noticed it, then she said she must leave us for a little while in the music room, as she always went to see her children at this hour. They live in another wing. By that time Lady Doraine and Lady Greswold and most of the others were down, 
and some of them looked as if they had been up awfully late. It seems they did not finish the baccarat until half past three, and that Lord Oldfield won more than a thousand pounds. Mrs. Murray Hartley had hardly got out the door, when Lady Dorraine said what a beautiful woman she was, and Lady Greswell began, yes, and such tact, and Lady Bobby said, and so charming, and Lady Cecilia, who was doing ribbon work on a small frame that sounds like a drum every time you put the needle through, looked up and drawled in her voice right up at the top, yes, I have noticed very rich people always are. Then they all talked at once, and by listening carefully, one made out that they were saying a nice thing about everyone, only with a different ending to it. Like, she is perfectly devy, but what a pity she makes herself so remarkable. And, darling Florie, of course she is as straight as a die, but wearing those gowns so much too young for her, and with that very French figure, it does give people a wrong impression. And it, it is extraordinary luck for dear Rosie, her husband's dying before he knew anything. I suppose it is all right, Mamma, but it sounds to me like giving backhanders. The French women never talked like this. They were witty and amusing and polite, just the same as if the men were in the room. Octavia did not join in it, but read the papers, and when they got round to Mrs. Murray Hartley again, and this time simply clawed her to pieces, Octavia looked up and said in a downright way, Ah, come, we need none of us have known this woman unless we liked, and we are all getting the quid pro quo out of her, so for goodness sake, let us leave her alone. That raised a perfect storm. They denied having said a word and were quite indignant at the idea of getting anything out of her. But it's all bosh, Octavia said. I am here because it is the nearest house to the Grassfield Ball, and the whole thing amuses me, and I suppose you all have your reasons. Lady Dorraine looked at her out of the corner of her eyes and said in her prairie voice, Darling Octavia, you are so original. Then she turned the conversation in the neatest way. Octavia said to me, as we went upstairs before lunch, that they were a set of cats and harpies, and she hated them all. Only unfortunately the others, the nice good ones, taken en bloc made things so dull, it was better to put up with this set. Then she kissed me as I went into my room and said, At this time of the worst day, my little Elizabeth, there is no use in fighting windmills. At luncheon, Lord Valmont sat next to me. He said we had been horrid not to have wanted him to spend the morning with us, and would I let him teach me bridge afterwards. I said I really was not a bit interested in cards. But he said it was a delightful game, so I said all right. After lunch in the salon, I overheard Mrs. Murray Hartley say to Lady Greswold that she feared this awful weather would make her party a failure, and what was she to do to amuse them this afternoon? So Lady Greswold said, Leave him alone with plenty of opportunities to talk to their friends and it will be all right. And so she did. Lord Valmont and I found a nice little table in a corner by the fire, and we began to turn over the cards, and presently everyone disappeared, except Lady Dorraine and Mr. Wetz, who played Patience or something, beyond one of the Spanish leather screens, and Lady Bobby and Lord Oldfield, who were smoking cigarettes together on the big sofa. We could just hear their voices murmuring. You can't play bridge with only two people, I find, and when Lord Valmont had explained the principles to me, I was none the wiser. I suppose I was thinking of something else, and he said I was a stupid little thing, but in such a nice voice, and then we talked and did not worry about the cards. But after a while he said he thought he was draughty for me in the salon, and it would be cosier in one of the sitting-rooms, but I would not go, Mamma, as I did not find it at all cold. Then Lord Doraine came in, and went over and disturbed everybody in turn, and finally sat down by us, and Lady Bobby laughed out loud, and Lady Doraine peeped around the screen with her mischievous herself cat expression. So I just said I would go undress for tea, and came upstairs. I am sure they were all trying to make me feel uncomfortable, but I didn't a bit. I heard them shrieking with laughter as I left, 
and I caught a glimpse of Lord Valmond's face, and it was set as hard as iron. Octavia wants me to wear my only other new ball dress tonight, the white gauze, so I suppose I must, and I do hope the rain will stop before we start. With love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. Agnes says she won't sup downstairs, as there was so much champagne in the room last night that several of the valets got drunk, and she thinks it is not distingue. Foljambe Place, Wednesday. Dearest Mamma, Octavia is writing to you, and we have such a piece of news for you. I will tell you presently. Part of the ball last night was quite delightful. Unfortunately, the rain had stopped before we started. In fact, I saw the stars shining when I looked out on my way down to tea. A new man had arrived, Sir Hugh Dyncourt. I remember you have often spoken of him. He is nice-looking, though quite old, over forty, I should think. It appears he has been away from the world for more than two years. He has only come to this party now because Lady Bobby made him. He met her lately, and is a great friend of hers. The other men, Lord Doraine, etc., were chaffing him by the fireplace. No one else was down, and they did say such odd things. Tom asked him why he had disappeared for so long, and he said, time was, when, if one stuck to one's own class, to live and love was within the reach of any gentleman, but since the fashion of the long strings of pearls came in, it had become more expensive than the other class, and he could not compete with Jews and finances. So he had gone to live quietly in Paris. I don't know what it meant, but it seemed to amuse them all awfully. When they saw me sitting on the sofa, they stopped talking at once, and then began about how horrid the day had been. Sir Hugh was introduced and asked about you. He said I was not nearly so pretty as you had been at my age, but I should do, he dare say. Then when I stood up and he saw my height, he said that he had always thought five foot seven a perfect measure for women. So I said I did feel disappointed, as I was only five foot six and three quarters. He laughed and whispered, Oh yes, I am sure you will do, very well indeed. He is charming, and he says he will be an uncle to me. At tea, Octavia and he and I sat on the big sofa, and Lady Bobby did not like it a bit. She tried to talk to Lord Valmont, who was fidgeting about, looking as cross as a bear, but he would not stay with still long enough to have my conversation. As we were going upstairs afterwards, he ran after me and said he must tell me that Sir Hugh was not at all the kind of man I ought to talk so much to, and would I promise him the first dance tonight. I said no, that I was going to give it to Sir Hugh and that he had better mind his own business, or I would not dance with him at all. I was not really angry, Mamma, because he is so nice-looking, but one is obliged to be firm with men, as I am sure you know. He turned round and stamped down the stairs again, without a word, in a passion. At dinner, which I went into with Mr. Wertz, Sir Hugh was at the other side, and you can't think how friendly we got. He says I am the sweetest little darling he has seen in a month of Sundays. I kept catching sight of Lord Valmont's face between the flowers. He had taken in Mrs. Mary Hartley, and he was alternately so cross and unhappy-looking that he must have had violent indigestion. We went to the ball in omnibuses and brohams, the usual thing, but Octavia took care that I sat between her and Lady Cecilia. Mrs. Mary Hartley was so beautifully dressed, and her jewels were superb, and everything in very good taste. She is a really very agreeable woman to talk to, Mamma, and one can't blame her for wanting to be in society. It must be so much nicer than Bayswater, where they came from, and Octavia says it proves her intelligence. It is easier to rise from the gutter than from the suburbs. Everybody had arrived when our party got to the ball. The Ruses are staying at Pennythorn, and Jane came and said to me at once how sorry she was to see me looking pale, and she hoped I would be able to enjoy myself. I wasn't pale, Mamma, I am sure, but I did feel just a teeny bit sorry I had quarrelled again with Lord Valmont. 
He never came near me, and everything seemed to be at sixes and sevens. People got cross because I mixed up their dances quite unintentionally, and I don't know why I did not enjoy myself a bit, in spite of Sir Hugh saying every sort of lovely thing to me. I had supper with him, and Lord Valmont was near with Lady Durain, and she was being so nice to him, Mamma, leaning over and looking into his eyes, and I don't think it good form, do you? Two or three dances afterwards, when we went back to the ballroom, there was a polka. I danced it with some idiot who almost at once let yards and yards of my gauze frills get torn, so I was obliged to go to the cloakroom to have it pinned up. It was a long way off, and when I came out my partner had disappeared, and there was no one about but Lord Lorraine, and the moment I saw him I hated the look in his eyes, they seemed all swimming, and he said in such a nasty fat voice, Little darling, I have sent your partner away, and I am waiting for you. Come and sit out with me among the palms. And I don't know why, but I felt frightened, and so I said no. That I was going back to the ballroom. And he got nearer and nearer, and caught hold of my arm, and said, No, no, you shall not, unless you give me a kiss first. And he would not let me pass. I can't imagine why, Mamma, but I never felt so frightened in my life. And just then, walking aimlessly down the passage, came Lord Vermont. He saw us and came up quickly, and I was so glad to see someone that I ran to him. As Lord Lorraine let me pass directly, he caught sight of Harry, I mean Lord Vermont, and he was in such a rage when he saw how I was trembling, and said, What has that brute been saying to you? and looked as if he wanted to go back and fight him, but I was so terrified that I could only say, Do come away. We went and sat in the palm place, and there was not a soul there, as everyone was dancing. And I really don't know how it happened. I was so upset about that horrid Lord Lorraine that Harry tried to comfort me, and we made up our quarrel. And he kissed me again, and I hope you won't be very cross, Mamma. but somehow I did not feel at all angry this time. And I thought he was fond of Mrs. Smith, but it isn't, it's me, and we are engaged, and Octavia is writing to you, and I hope you won't mind, and the post is off now, so no more. Your more affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. I shall get married before the drawing room in February, because then I can wear a tiara. P.S. again. Of course an English Marquis is higher than a French one, so I shall walk in front of Victorine anywhere, shan't I? E. End of section 17 Recording by Marta, Onse, Denmark End of the Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn